I'm old enough to remember when meeting your cannabis sources involved back alleys or out-of-the-way places. Now there's a place online, the LinkedIn of cannabis and hemp. It's called LeafWire. 40,000 people are there already, making connections and asking and answering questions. LeafWire founder and CEO Peter Vogel is our guest this week. If you're an entrepreneur or a job seeker or just curious about cannabis, you'll find a lot of value in this episode. Whether you're a subscriber or a first-time listener, please stop by and see us at cannaboom.com. We're focused on how cannabinoids and CBD can help you achieve better wellness and how to find CBD that's trusted and reliable. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and please leave a review so other people can find the show. You can also ask your smart speaker to play the Cannaboom podcast, but I can't guarantee what results you get. Thanks to our producer, Danny, in Milwaukee, and here's my interview with Peter Vogel. Cannabis is booming, and Cannaboom is on it. Welcome to the Cannaboom Podcast, where we interview experts on the changing story of humans, health, and hemp. From San Diego, here's your host, Tom Stacy. Hey, it's Tom. Welcome back to the Cannaboom Podcast. Today, we have Peter Vogel of LeafWire. Hey, Peter. Hey, Tom. How are you? Really good. How are you doing? Doing well. Excited to be on the podcast. All right. Tell us about LeafWire. Sure. Uh, so about two years ago, uh, we were looking at the cannabis industry and saw that there wasn't really a great place online for the cannabis business community to uh, get together, to post news, to promote events, to find partners, uh, find employees, look for investors, and just simply network. Uh, so that's why we, we built LeafWire to be a LinkedIn-like uh business community, but 100% specifically for the cannabis and hemp community. And we've definitely seen a rise uh, in the, the hemp part of the business over the last year and a half, for sure. As a mental construct, everyone knows what LinkedIn is. How are you different other than the exclusive focus on cannabis and hemp? So I'll say, uh, first, I'll tell you a little more about LeafWire. Uh, it is similar to a LinkedIn where uh, members can join for free. You know, you create a free, free profile with your location and jobs, and you can put some information down about your experience, et cetera. Um, and then people can also add uh, profiles to their company. If they want to promote their company. And so we've had, we're getting close to uh, about almost 37,000 people join from the industry, have come on and created profiles. Um, and they've, that represents, they've created about 15,000 companies. So there's 15,000 companies in kind of the cannabis and hemp space. And our members are everything from, uh, it's both plant touching and non-plant touching. So it's everything from, from growers uh, to people working in dispensaries, to uh, people making CBD brands, to packaging companies, shipping companies, lighting, uh, lawyers, to investors. So if you think about any part of the cannabis industry or any companies that service the cannabis industry, that's who you know our members would be, um, and some some of the other things that you'll find on LeafWire, uh, we have a section for events, so it's 100% cannabis specific events. Um, we have a section on uh, training, so we have a partnership with Green Flower Media, uh, where all of our members can click through and get 10% off all of the classes and certifications that they offer. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure, have you spoken with the folks over there at Greenfire? You know, I'm going to have Max Simon on the podcast very soon. I, I am familiar with them, and I know they do provide some great training resources. Yeah, you know, they are really good. I think you'll find him really interesting and knowledgeable. He's been in the space for a while. And um, 
they've been selected by a bunch of the top universities and colleges in the entire United States to uh, provide the, you know, the, the, the cannabis training and all sorts of ranging from, you know, the cultivation to the business side to getting licenses, et cetera. So there, there's a lot to it. And that's, that's one of the sections we have that's 100% cannabis focused. Uh, we also recently added, added a cannabis job board that is 100% cannabis and hemp jobs um, that is uh, about 1,100 open jobs right now. So, and that's completely free for people to go on and use. Uh, you can search by city, you can search by type of cannabis job, uh, and we've seen a ton of traction there so far. Um, so that, that's a little more about what, what LeafWire is. And like, like, like you said, it is 100% focused on cannabis and hemp. Um, and the, the main kind of distinction between us and like a LinkedIn um, that, that basically shows why we've had you know, almost 40,000 people join and create profiles is because there, there is a need for this sort of thing, uh, for this sort of platform. And the reasons are one, because uh, LinkedIn is just so big. LinkedIn has uh, 660 million people on its platform. Wow. So that's twice the population of the United States. Um, representing every single industry in the entire world. And the problem with that is almost all of us have been in other industries. We've worked for other types of jobs, uh, depending how how early you are in your career. It may have been just for a couple of years. It may have been for 20, 30, 40 years. So you're going to have a ton of connections that have a ton of, you know, posts and news and stuff that are non-cannabis related. So if, if what you're really looking for is cannabis news, uh, you know, cannabis science, cannabis jobs, cannabis events, it's really hard to get any focus on that when you have such a massive platform. Um, and I still, I still use LinkedIn. So I use LinkedIn every day. I've been using it for you know almost 15 years, um, and I use it to go look people up and find people, and then I come back to LeafWire when I'm looking for content, or I will learn about events, or I want to share some new news that's like very cannabis specific. So the sheer size and scale is one reason why people like LeafWire, and the second is the you know still existing stigma. You know a, a lot of us in the industry kind of forget that it's still, cannabis is still recreationally illegal in, you know, 65, 70% of states out there. You know, even though we just, you know, it took this long to get five more states to legalize. Uh, and a, a, a couple of those are, are, are medical and a, a couple of them are recreational. But a, a lot of people, we, and we actually did a survey on LeafWire, even people who use LinkedIn every week uh, I think 68% of them said that they typically don't put up very detailed, thorough descriptions of their cannabis jobs and experience on LinkedIn. And we think that's because they know that they have potentially family members who don't really approve, or they may have ex-colleagues in other industries that don't necessarily approve, or they just have friends or acquaintances in states where cannabis is just not legal and it's not accepted yet. So for a lot of people who may not know if cannabis is going to be your last industry you'll ever work in, uh, you may not want to be branded as the cannabis guy or the cannabis woman by posting tons of news and information if you want to go back into the financial world, if you want to go back and work for a more conservative Fortune 500 company. So just to have a place like 
uh, LeafWire where it's 100% de devoted to it and safe and you're, you're never going to have your account shut down or censored. And, and that's not as much a problem with LinkedIn, but some of the other, the Facebooks, the YouTubes, uh, things like that are notorious for uh, shutting down people's accounts, uh, completely canceling, uh, YouTube has done that, canceling people's channels that have been there for years. Uh, just because they use the word cannabis or do something slightly different that uh, one of those social media outlets doesn't approve of. So those, those are two main reasons, these sheer scale and the stigma that does still exist. You've got, as you said, almost 40,000 signups in the first two years. Is that kind of in line with your expectations for the uptake? Yeah, it's it's been growing pretty consistently. At the beginning, we were growing by about a thousand users a month. We started doing a little more marketing and that's gotten closer to usually between 1,500 to 2,000 a month. Uh, so, and it's continuing. The pace is pretty consistent. We have, uh, we, we, we've scaled back some marketing over the last six months during the pandemic. We definitely did uh, slow down the marketing a bit just to be careful and conserve some cash since we didn't know kind of what was happening with the market. We didn't know, you know, if we'd be able to continue selling advertising. Uh, or not. So, uh, but it, it's been steady and we're continuing to grow. So we're, we're, we've been happy with it. Yeah. And as you, you referenced several, you know, there's packaging, there's intellectual property, there's software. I mean, there are a lot of different sectors to this, um, you know, segment of the economy. I mean, in American history or, or world history, I don't know if there's ever been uh, an industry that was so underground and and transferred this fast to something legit. Hmm. That's a that's an interesting uh, point. Uh, yeah, I wonder if the only other thing I could think about is some some forms of gambling, you know, that were very illegal in a lot of places, and then kind of became above came above ground to be legalized. But even that was mostly only in very specific cities and states like Vegas or uh, Reno, places like that. Um, yeah, that maybe, and that didn't really translate nationwide like cannabis has. So I, I would say you're probably right. I mean, I think cannabis probably has been the biggest transition from a completely underground illegal business to what what is becoming, you know, a massive multi-billion dollar industry and, and growing faster over year. Pimp, which is sort of the cousin to, you know, THC-based cannabis, which really shouldn't have been as outlawed as it was. But there's a whole side to that. I mean, I see people on Twitter saying, you know, everything plastic can be made from hemp. It's useful as a food, as a textile. Uh, you can make paper. There's all sorts of things you can do with that from agriculture to um, clothing. So there's a lot of growth there, too. A hundred percent. And that... It, it It is crazy. I mean, it's crazy, one, how demonized cannabis was back in the 20s and 30s and all of the propaganda against it, uh, which, which a lot of it was just cultural bias against um, against Mexicans and black people uh, for, for, no, for no reason at all. Uh, and all it did was demonize and keep illegal uh, a medicine that's actually significantly safer than alcohol or tobacco or other things that people use. Um, and, and hemp, for some reason, got lumped in with that way back then and has taken this long, literally 100 years practically to like 
separate itself from cannabis. Um, and it is amazing when you look at all, all of the things they're doing with hemp. Uh, they're, they're making, you know, uh, vehicle parts out of hemp, uh, hempcrete for, you know, concrete replacement, using tons of hemp in, in clothing and foods. And um, the most people believe that it was a lot of the other industries other than the agricultural industries, whether it was cotton or other fabrics that uh, fought so hard to keep hemp illegal so that they could thrive, even though they're, they're, it was an inferior product. It was more expensive to manufacture and grow and um, uh, not, not as environmentally friendly or, or strong. Uh, I mean, it, it's pretty crazy that it's taken this long for people to actually make hemp legal. I think in some of my research, I saw reference to William Randolph Hearst, who was, of course, a huge newspaper publisher, and he wanted to be vertically integrated, So, and he wanted paper. So he had the political clout to you know, restrict the use of hemp. Uh, that's history. I'm not sure if it's 100% accurate, but yeah. I've heard that story. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that happened across multiple industries, that people who had control over industries that were challenged by hemp you know, helped lead the political charge. And, you know, they donated money to the political parties that, uh, I mean, much like this corruption happens today, uh, they, you know, they, they use their money to safeguard their industries and stifle, you know, a, 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 the, the hemp industry and actually make it illegal. So no one can actually use it for 100 years, which is crazy. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we're just out of an election. And I think you referenced, I think maybe five more states came on medicinally. But I saw you had a post the other day that 68% of Americans now believe that cannabis should be federally legal. We're nearly at a tipping point where the our lawmakers really need to catch up with the culture, right? 100%. And that was, that was a Gallup poll. 68% said they uh, approve of legalizing uh, cannabis. Uh, versus last year, it was either 64 or 66%. So it's inching up every single year. Um, and the very first year they did it, uh, 1968, when they asked that same question, uh, it was, I think it was a 12% of people uh, that approved. So it's, that, that, that's a, that shift is just you know huge. Right. Another place where that manifests is in the entrepreneurship itself. I mean, you see a lot of startups who are bootstrapping it, from your perspective, when do we see you know Procter and Gamble or Coca Cola begin to wade into this market? Um, I mean, I think we're starting to see that with a bunch of. Right now, we're seeing it more with uh, the alcohol, uh, big alcohol brands. I think they're maybe a little more comfortable with with the concept of a call it a drug. Um, the since alcohol has been so regulated, I think they're comfortable with the regulation of cannabis. But you know the Constellation Brands obviously is the most famous one with who's put in four or five billion dollars into the industry and into canopy growth. Uh, Molson Coors just put in a bunch of money. Um, <clears throat> I know there's been some other alcohol brands as well that have started pouring in money. Um, I, I think you're going to see the other huge CPG companies, and and some of them I think have gotten into the CBD side. It's uh, depending on the state. Is is still um, not as regulated, um, but I think you know the legalization um, is going to have a huge part because I think w some of the big problems for these 
uh, like Procter and Gamble's, the fragmentation where everything is done state by state is really tough. They're used to having you know nationwide or global products that they can have huge advertising campaigns for. They can ship to you know thousand supermarkets all over the U.S. Um, it, it's it's much harder to create products that you have to create in one state and ship in that state and sell in that state. And then you have to if you, if you want to have that same product line in another state, you actually have to literally have your own factory in that state, create it in that state, grow it in that state, package it in that state, and then sell it in that state. So the the, the infrastructure to do all that is just complicated and expensive and it doesn't fit with their normal model is to be able to create a brand that they can promote across TV, radio, internet, you know, all over the world um, and then ship it all over the world and put all their marketing might behind it. And with the fragmentation of everything in the U.S. being state by state and even the marketing, I mean, every state, even the ones that are legal, have different laws about what can be advertised, where it can be advertised, you know, words you can use, packaging. Canada is kind of notorious for requiring this really plain packaging um, versus, you know, a lot of the brands in the U.S. have more colorful, uh, more, you know, brand appropriate packaging. So it's, it's just, I think, really hard for these big companies to put all of their normal muscle and might behind products that they can't promote, like they can't promote and sell like they do everything else. So I think the le like complete legalization is just going to be one of the steps that I think it takes to, to get a lot of these big guys in. Sure. Much less risk. And then, as you say, some of the, the logistical things or just if you have to have 50 different sets of labels or you have to have literally have factories in different states. I mean, that's a big disincentive. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of a nightmare if you think about the uh, the logistics of running all that. Well, once some of those obstacles are removed, how big do you think this industry can get? Especially at a time when we're going to be coming out of a pandemic, there's going to be people looking for sort of a, a bright spot in the economy. And you talk about hemp and cannabis together. It's a juggernaut of an industry, I would think. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think everyone agrees. Um, I think there's a couple things. Uh I mean, one, I mean, people are already, the, the data coming out from, I think it's New Frontier data is suggesting you know, that we're going to hit almost $20 billion this year in, in market size, up to $34 billion by 2023. Uh, if, if you look at, uh, and that's not necessarily taking into account all of the new states that may be coming on board as well. I mean, that's a lot of it is just those specific um States just continuing to grow that we already have now. Um, Jobs-wise, uh, actually, I want to add one other thing. I think one thing that's really interesting is uh, with the pandemic right now, a lot of the states are really suffering in terms of tax revenue because there's tons of unemployment. They're paying out a ton of money and they're not getting taxes in. So come 2021. We're going to have a period, and this is, imagine another six months of this, you know, at least, where these states are going to be hurting like crazy. And what makes sense, the easiest way for them to get tax revenue uh, coming in immediately is to legalize cannabis, allow the sales, uh, come up with a way to get it started quickly, uh, and start to replace some of that tax revenue. And 
Massachusetts, uh, this, this just came out in the news as well, I think, this week. Uh, Massachusetts just announced they surpassed a billion dollars in, uh, in cannabis sales, generating $200 million in tax revenue. So imagine, you know, they've, they've been able to replace $200 million in missing money just by uh, allowing this industry to exist. That could be a huge thing. And it needs to be done smartly, though. I mean, in California, there's still an enormous issue. If you go to the dispensary, you can tack on 35 40% sometimes mm-hmm. in tax. Right. And so the legacy market is still thriving. But yet, go to the legacy market, you're not sure if there's pesticides on there or solvents. It's not it's not regulated. So there's room. I mean, there's a big gap between 40% bogey there where there's room in between to make it safe for the consumer and let the state really realize some much needed revenue. hundred percent. And, you know, a lot of people have been very critical of how California did this. Um, you know, I think Colorado took a more moderate approach and Colorado has not had the same uh, issues with you know, I'm sure there's still a black market, but it's not anywhere the size of California's. Uh, I think Colorado has been faster to approve licenses. Uh, the regulations have been a little less loose. Uh, the taxes haven't been quite as high. So it's been much more business friendly. And, you know, that's in California. You, I think the last numbers they came out with were the black market is three times the size of the legal market. I mean, that's a huge problem and a huge opportunity for California. If, you know, if they would step back and adjust some of the taxes and make it easier for companies to get approved and licensed and, and speed speed up the process, you know, there, there were always, and I, I don't know where it is right now, but I know historically there's been hundreds of dispensaries that are essentially illegal dispensaries that are just open and they're just open selling uh, and they've just never gotten their license yet. Um, and, and it's, I mean, that's been a huge problem for California too. I think they have started to crack down, but for a while, yeah, you could go on weed maps and, um, just find all kinds of, you know, underground stuff. So that should get resolved. I, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, where it's, it's not really a binary state where you're legal or illegal. There's often some things that need to be kind of settled and boy, our politics aren't always conducive to that. So right. it, it takes time. Yes, it is. It's, there's, I think there's weird gray areas where people who are attempting to completely operate in a legal fashion, and they've even tr- applied to get the license and maybe getting one, but they may not be getting it for a year. And the problem is they had to rent a space and show where the location is going to be prior to submitting a license. So they're stuck with a space and they, they have to operate or else they're just paying rent for nothing. So it's this weird regulatory kind of uh, traffic jam where the the small businesses get get stuck. I mean, they, they, they have their places of business. They have to run or else they go out of business, but they can't legally operate because they don't have a license. So it's a complicated, um, and you, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned weed maps. It, I've always been really confused why, like weed maps has promoted, you know, all the illegal dispensaries for so long and, and no one ever, no, no, you know, state agencies or it wouldn't be government, I guess it would be state agencies. No one ever essentially made them stop doing that really. 
I think they voluntarily came to a decision, and I think they took most of them down by like January of this year, or at least they were supposed to. I'm not sure if you followed that. I am not sure of the exact timing of it. It does seem like it's dissipated somewhat, but they were making so much money. I mean, I knew people who had to buy advertising and they couldn't believe how expensive it was. But yeah, I mean, if you are essentially advertising a criminal enterprise, you would think there would be some liability for that, right? I I would think so. And, you know, I, I wish no ill will on weed maps. I, I like them as a company. I just, I was just always surprised that, you know, I don't use the term got away with it, but... It didn't seem like there was any negative repercussions to, for doing that. So it's almost like, why not do it? If 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 there's no negative repercussions, then you're you're not really hurting anyone, and no agency stops you. They, like you said, they're making a ton of money. It's, they're they're just trying to, you know, if if anything, they're really providing a service these people want. Um, so it, it's it's not that I'm trying to, you know, say negative things about them. I just I've just never been never understood how that was able they were able to operate like that. Because it doesn't seem like in most other states, that sort of thing would fly. As the whole sector evolves, we'll get more clarity on, on what's legal and not. But yeah, they, they saw an opportunity and, and filled that need and profited. And that's what you do in a, a big new market, right? Yep. What do you make of what's happening in Oregon? Um, last week, they essentially decriminalized almost all drugs, right? Yeah, I think they decriminalized uh, some psychedelics uh like a while back i think like six months or a year ago or something and it seems like they decriminalized everything i think that's just to more aggressively end the war on drugs and realize that putting someone and they i think the description was they're trying to treat uh drug use even harder drug use as more of a health problem uh, than as a crime and take the approach of rehabilitation and helping those people rather than uh, just putting them in jail, which obviously has not helped society, has not helped anyone, any part of society really over the last couple decades, you know, whether it's the, the, the people in jail, whether it's the people outside jail who are supporting those people in jail um, and running the, you know, running the jails. And 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 there was no real focus on rehabilitation, helping those people. So the recidivism rates were amazingly high. Uh, so it, it cost a ton of money, took away people's freedoms, and didn't help anyone. So I think they finally just made the more aggressive decision to say, "Hey, let's just just stop this 100% right now." Uh, and it'll, it'll. I think it could be a model for the rest of the country to look at and see. You know, hey, maybe maybe they can actually demonstrate that crime goes down. Maybe they can demonstrate that, you know, addiction to the harder, dangerous drugs goes down. You know, maybe they can show that the recidivism rates go down and there's the, the jails are costing less money to run. I mean, it could be, you know, win, win, win for all, all, a lot of different parties. In 2020, we all sort of woke up to the social equity aspect of a lot of things. And certainly in cannabis, there's been a lot of people of color incarcerated. And, and now you have businessmen in, in suits coming in into positions of power and privilege and authority. What do you see happening on the social equity front? And, and how can people help support those kinds of actions? Yeah, I mean... A lot of states have had a lot of issues figuring out how to implement social equity programs, and mo almost all of them have done it slightly different. I don't know 
which ones would claim success so that they've really done a great job. Uh, so I'm not sure what model is actually even the best. Um, I think, you know, people can support, you know, initiatives um, like the Last Prisoner Project is great. Uh, LeafWire has actually uh, done a bunch of emails and uh, advertisements for them when they hold events or doing fundraisers. We try and pitch in and help out and support that cause. Um, the Marijuana Policy Project is another one, obviously, that's done a, a ton to try and help minorities in cannabis uh, and, and also pass laws that you know, help all aspects of the industry. So those those two organizations, I think, are great to, you know, help support whether it's just financially or, uh, you know, by attending events or you know any anything else you can do to pitch in. Um, it's tough, uh, you know. All, all the programs are state by state. So I mean, I guess one thing you can do is educate yourself about what's happening in your state. And you know, add your voice to whatever initiatives are happening, whether it's you know c communicating with your your representative, um, uh, you know, whether it's local or statewide. Um, but but there, you you can promote those organizations on a national basis, but everything else is done either locally or by state. So it's kind of different state by state. But educating yourself on what social equity programs are even out there, and if there is any involvement you can have or any advocacy there, there might be local advocacy advocacy groups in your city or state that are pushing for change or you know trying to get the vote out on some aspect of that social equity i'd say that's a, it's a very local localized uh, initiative at this point that's a sort of a broader social question but i guess a, a good question to ask you too in terms of individual opportunity is essentially leafwire is the the linkedin of the cannabis industry do you have any best practices or suggestions for people in terms of their presence there? What can they do to, say, help themselves uh, position for, for a job in the industry? Uh, yeah. I mean, just like any other network, um, being an active participant, um, connecting with people. Um, so on LeafWire, we've had a little over 700,000 connection requests that are, have been wow. sent across the network. From the, That's from one member to another. Um, and so it, it's a large number and you can see people are very engaged. So that people want to get connected and share information and, you know, find business partners. So um, an, an, uh, actually an even more interesting number there is uh, of the 700,000 connection requests that have been sent, 40% uh, have been accepted. So almost half of those people who received a connection request accepted it. Uh, and then, then those two people can communicate and, you know, share information, et cetera. Um, so one, I would say just coming on the site on a somewhat regular basis, posting industry news you know, that you, you find interesting or you think other people will find interesting. If you uh, learn about an event, you know, post that event uh, to sh and share it with people. Um, if you have, you know, a, a political movement you're a part of, you know, you come on and tell people about it. Um, and people do also come on and they post things about their, their company and their products. Uh, we, we, of course, encourage people not to do that repetitively because we don't want it to be uh, just a, a, a newsfeed page full of ads. But, you know, it's perfectly fine to come on and, you know, announce a new product you have or, you know, tell people about your company. 
but we also want people to contribute content. So it's, it can be a blog post you, you wrote, or it can just be news that you saw, you know, uh, in your local newspaper or in Wall Street Journal, New York Times, or, you know, anything you see that you think, hey, this, this is interesting for the industry. I want to share this. And every time you share, you know, your name, and if you're part of a company, your name and company are both listed. So people are seeing your name and your company repetitively. And then you can also comment on other people's and answer questions. People post things on LeafWire asking about getting licenses in certain states or how to get involved in the hemp industry or does anyone know what type of extraction equipment would be best for XYZ. Um, so it, you can definitely get very specialized and focused and um, you know, one example I like to use, and this is another good example why LeafWire is different than like a LinkedIn. It's just the laser focus, and this was kind of shown, this was kind of a funny post, but there was a, a jockey who got suspended for giving his horse CBD as a treatment uh, for recovery. Um, so someone posted that article, um, and it was one the first time ever, anyone ever posted something from, it was like, Horse something, mag, Horse Riders Magazine, uh, which was unique in its own right. Uh, but after someone posted that article about CBD for the horse, there was a string of about 40 comments of everyone arguing on the exact amount of milligrams uh, a racehorse should get for recovery. Um, people were, you know, guessing weights, suggesting different products, different types of CBD, et cetera. Uh, but you would not see something that so specific and uh, passionate, you know, on LinkedIn. So it's it's just a very kind of laser focus that people feel comfortable advocating for, you know, 2,500 milligrams of CBD versus 2,250 based on their, their industry knowledge. Right. There's such an explosion in research and um, in sharing information. So there's a lot of value, as you say, to that, whether you're you're just showing up and contributing value or going there to learn things. It's, it's a great resource in that respect. And again, like you said earlier, without the the fear of being exposed on LinkedIn and, and being right. you know tarred forever as, as a, a cannabis person. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. So the... The participation really is key. I mean, you like you can use anything like Facebook, LinkedIn, and if all you do is just go look and never communicate with anyone, you know, no one sees your name in, in the, or your company, um, and, and you don't develop any connections. So, you know, we encourage as much as we can for people to connect. Send you can send personal messages on the platform, you can comment, you can like things. Um, there's also other opportunities more. You can you can advertise your company. We have something called a marketplace on LeafWire, which is kind of like a, a yellow pages type directory listing. So for people who want a little extra promotion, they can pay to post an ad in our market marketplace. Um, we also do have, you know, like I mentioned earlier, a full job board. So if you're looking to get into the industry, there's about 1,100 jobs on there. A lot of them are from the biggest uh, multi-state operators around the country. Uh, we do, we have jobs. Uh, I think Canada, U.S. I think that's. I think we only just have two countries right now. Um, but uh, you know, the, there's 1,100, and they they really range from people for people working in a science lab to a dispensary to uh, working you know in the field helping with cultivation. So 
it's a it's a huge variation of and level from you know there's more hourly part-time work and there's more kind of executive vp type work uh so it's it's it, it uh it's it's the whole realm of of the industry i've been there every week posting uh when i have a new podcast or, or blog post to put up and um i've definitely seen it grow and as you said with that 40% or more engagement people definitely have reasons to get involved and participate so that's a a great service that you're offering yeah it's been uh it, it, it we we were kind of convinced now that it it was needed and you know, it's just kind of the, the, the proof is in the pudding. You know, you you can talk to your blue in the face and say why something's a great service for the industry, but we, we feel validated that we've had 40,000 people join, you know, create 15,000 companies. We've had 700,000 connection requests sent, you know, on a daily basis, we usually are getting between 1,000 to 2,000 people a day on the site. So it's a, wow. it's an active, engaged member base that, you know, that is very devoted and passionate to, you know, the cannabis and hemp industries. You stepped in at the right time, I think, and I predict it's going to be a, a bigger and better thing as you go. I mean, more and more people are, are going to gravitate towards this as more states come on. And as the stigma recedes over time, and it becomes a major part of our economy. So I think you're well positioned. Yeah, we're excited uh, to see the growth. You know, we were we were psyched to see these states uh become, you know, legal, these five states become legal, whether it's recreationally or medically. And, you know, like I said earlier, I think 2020 year, 2021 is going to be a massive year just because uh, so many states are going to need to replace so much tax revenue that legalization is just going to be a natural step for a lot of states, probably a lot faster than what happened without the pandemic. So, that's, uh, I think, going to lead to kind of a uh, a record-breaking year for cannabis next year in terms of the number of states that are legalizing. Peter, is there anything we haven't covered that we should? Uh, I mean, I would just invite uh, anyone who's not a member to just come check us out. Come to come to leafwire.com. It's completely free to join. Create a profile. You know, start connecting with people. Start posting. Um, and, and I'm also happy to chat with anyone who wants to learn a little bit more about LeafWire. You can reach me at peter at leafwire.com. I'm also on LeafWire uh, many times a day. So you can send me a message on LeafWire, connect with me on LeafWire. Happy to chat with anyone there and uh, answer any questions you may have. Okay. Well, that sounds good. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your vision and all the news about what LeafWire is doing. Um, it's very exciting and, and we'll definitely be keeping an eye on it in, in 2021 and on after that. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on, Tom. You've been listening to the Cannaboom Podcast with host Tom Stacy. If you like the show and want to know more, please check us out at Cannaboom with a K.com. And please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next week.